Yo, when you said critical thought, Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5M trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Greetings and welcome to the Critical Thought Podcast Where I give you my unsolicited narrative on the mainstream media And try to read between the lines Warning if you have an enlarged amygdala, proceed with caution. The West looks at this like maybe there's a problem going on here. There is a serious problem for the West, for sure. They may be pissing in their pants. Because what's happening in Africa is indeed a revolution. Greetings, and welcome to episode 8 of the Critical Thought Podcast. Now this week I want to kick it off with Africa. I want to take a deeper look at what might be really causing the issues in Africa or how the stage might be setting up. Now we know Africa is mineral rich and this particular geographic region where most of these coups are taking place just happen to fall in one of the most mineral rich parts of Africa. So. They're trying to get rid of the European powers that are now in control of this era, mainly France. Um, people have been oppressed in these regions for a long time. And most of the countries involved in the re recent coups are former French colonies. I don't think all of these things are coincidence. It would seem as if the people of the countries in question are also fed up and tired of what's been going on. That's how it appears from the outside. But my question is, who is behind the uprising? I mean, it could very well be that these countries just got organized at the same time and decided that it was time to do something about this. I have a feeling that there is outside influence. Um, I'm not sure who it is. It could be China, it could be Russia. It could be the US, it could be the UN. Who knows who is really behind this uprising? What we're here to do is to try to figure it out. Let's read between the lines. So in this next clip, we're going to hear from the former ambassador of the African Union to the United States. And I just want to ask you, in the West, when you look at these countries, Mali, Chad, Guinea, Sudan, Burkina Faso, Gabon, Niger, the West looks at this like maybe there's a problem going on here. How do you look at it? There is a serious problem for the West, for sure. Uh, I think the West did not see it coming. However, it was very naive of the Western nations to think that the exploitation of Africa was going to continue unabated forever. The West is definitely, um, if I may use <laughs> four-letter words, not so kind, they may be pissing in their pants. Because what's happening in Africa is indeed a revolution, and a revolution that's way past due. So you see it as a revolution, but what kind of revolution is it in the sense that um, do you think this is throwing off uh, repression from France, from the United States, from other nations? What kind of revolution do you see is underway? Well, I like to think if I were to use the biblical terms, this is a revelation, a revelation among black people they are waking up and realizing that what has been happening is wrong, is wrong, is wrong, and change must come. And for true change to come, it must be brought by by the people. 
What you are seeing is an African electorate that is now awoken, that is informed, they understand the real issue. My question is who has awoken this electorate? Who is behind this uprising? And given false information and being thrown a shiny object and being told only the African heads of states are the problem, but now they understand the, the invisible hand and the role that the invisible hand is playing to make sure that Africa remains where they want Africa to be. The African heads of states, particularly those are heads of states of the former French colony. So she speak of an invisible hand that is trying to keep Africa where they want Africa to be. And I'm asking the question, who is responsible for the invisible hand that is supposedly helping Africa to liberate themselves at the moment? That's the question I'm asking. The African heads of states, particularly those uh, heads of states of the former French colonies, majority of them were just puppets put in place to continue the same French legacy, which basically boxed them in where it said you have no control of your military, you have no control of your natural resources, you have no control of your finances, and if you continue from those three areas, you are free to rule your country any which way you want. What power does that president have? And in case you didn't realize, she's about to describe to us the kind of control that France actually has over these um, African countries. In the past, any president that has tried to back the system and do something about taking control of the financial resources. And I'm talking about African countries depositing their bank reserves with France. I'm talking about African countries um, giving up their natural resources, no value addition. Right. France having first right of refusal for all the natural resources discovered yet, yet to be discovered. France companies having first right of refusal for all contracts, uh, large, sense. small, private, public. France having military presence in those countries and France having the ability to invade them in the event that they feel their interests are being violated. France making sure that those countries can only be trained by France, the military can only be trained by France. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, the equipment, military equipment can only be bought from France. Come on now. So in this next portion of the clip, the ambassador is going to address how she feels about other nations coming into Africa. And this particular clip, she's going to talk about China. China, for example. China picked up on the mistakes that were being made by the Americans, the mistakes that were being made by the European nations. And China was coming into Africa realizing that, for example, when it comes to funding, European nations would talk and talk and talk about funding. They'll talk about building an airport. They'll talk about building a bridge. 10 years later, there is no bridge. There is no airport. It's still talk. All kinds of road, roadblocks and red tapes are put in in order to access funding. So China decided we'll make it easy for African countries to access funding. The road and so that's why initiative. you'll find a lot of infrastructure projects are being built by China because they realize where the Americans, the Europeans are dropping the ball and they are coming in with a different strategy. And therefore, it has been yeah, easier you still for China have to, money to from China. to their You're side. Not because from they are the doing things differently from what the Americans and the Europeans are doing. She's saying that China is doing it differently from these other countries because they are picking up where these other countries are failing. They are building roads and they are dealing with infrastructure that was promised by these other nations that was not delivered upon. Now, this might be true, but... 
you're just jumping from the frying pan into the fire potentially because you know what to expect and i'm not saying that you need to stick with the imf i'm just saying actually what i'm saying is you need not be dependent on any other nation but if you're gonna make deals with china you know you're not borrowing from the imf anymore right you're borrowing now from china what are you giving china in return for building this infrastructure because we know that the road and belt initiative is not just out of the goodness of the chinese heart all right well that's what the ambassador feel about china but let's hear how she feel about russia to russia again russia is looking and saying where is the west going wrong they are coming in they see a weakness russia came in during uh, the liberation wars in um, in southern africa in south africa in zimbabwe um, namibia mozambique angola all those african countries that attained independence through liber uh, through liberation wars Ch russia and china came in and realized that the western world were on the wrong side of the equation so they came in to say if we're going to go and win these people over let's support their struggles because truly russia came in to support these african nations when they really needed help so you can't blame them they found an opening and they they supported a cause that was just that was right that was needed and therefore you see that russia is being accepted because of what they have done in the past historically They've so people some are not loyalty amongst the african the countries that came in when they were needed right it's it's about taking looking at what's going on but when it's all said and done we're saying to the world no more can you continue to exploit the africans so i want to move on to the ukraine russia whatever you want to call it at this point in time now there was a point in time i think it was last year where elon was asked to turn on starling to help the ukrainians and he refused to do so and at the time people were wondering like what what's elon's dog in the fight and if elon is actually supporting the russian contingent of this skirmish now it's been brought up again because i think elon is about to release his autobiography but let's listen and see what the m5m is saying about elon in relation to the ukraine russia battle um, and a rather interesting development uh, that's triggered some anger in Kyiv today. Remarks from Elon Musk, owner of Tesla, owner of X, formerly Twitter and the like. Uh, what's he said and why are people upset? This is an interesting story because a biography of uh, Elon Musk is being released on Tuesday and there's some of the excerpts have come from it. And one of the things that came out that was, that was suggestions that he had turned off his Starlink system and therefore um, thwarted a Ukrainian drone attack on the Black Sea fleet. Um, now, the date of this is not entirely clear from the clip, but it does sound as if it was from last year. Uh, now, overnight, um, Elon Musk has come up on social media and said that um, actually the system wasn't activated in that region of the world at the time, so he couldn't have turned it off. But what he does remember is not agreeing to turn it on, which is, I know it sounds nuanced, but it is slightly different because uh, his company, SpaceX, is not a uh, military company and they don't want to be complicit in some sort of uh, acts of war. He, that is up for debate because we know that Elon is very closely tied to the Department of Defense and has a lot of defense contracts. So. I'm not sure that Elon isn't in some way, shape or form involved in what's going on here.
And then the question becomes, based on his connections with the Department of Defense, why would he not want to help the Ukrainians? It would seem that America is pro-Ukrainian. So, questions to be answered. Uh, his company, SpaceX, is not a uh, military company and they don't want to be complicit in some sort of uh, acts of war. What's also interesting, though, is the context here because Musk has also been apparently in regular contact with President Putin throughout the war, which uh, obviously raises concerns. Now, it's worth noting Starlink, which uh, we're seeing some of the satellites launched here, is a communications and internet uh, company, operates around the world. It's very satellite-intensive. Uh, eventually, there'll be 42 thousand of these satellites ringed around the world um, and uh, they provide uh, internet comms about one and a half million subscribers why it's relevant for ukraine is because they need gps to guide their drones to their target and uh, for the russian military it's not difficult to jam those drones if you use starlink it'll be a lot more difficult for those drones to be jammed and it provides some secure comms as well now apparently nato and the u.s have been accused of sending radioactive weapons to Ukraine. A Russian spokesperson says that the US and allies want to turn the Ukraine into a radioactive landfill. And if you remember a couple episodes back, the president of Eritrea said that Ukraine was a proxy put up for sacrifice by NATO. And what do you suppose Russia's response is gonna be to all of this? Russia's strategy to win this war is simple. It wants to starve Ukraine of the steady influx of Western weapons, which has made it possible for Kiev to put up its dogged resistance. According to reports, Britain's biggest defence manufacturer, BAE Systems, at this moment is setting up local weapons manufacturing units inside the Ukrainian territory. And the Kremlin has vowed to bomb every single foreign weapons manufacturing facility inside Ukraine. On the 30th of August, Russia struck the Ukrainian capital Kiev in its biggest missile drone assault since spring. Orange balls of fire fell from the sky, exploding in large balls of fire and smoke. On the front lines, Ukraine claims to have captured the strategic village of Robotyne. In a night vision video put out by the Ukrainian Defense Ministry, the Ukrainian soldiers are seen unfurling their flag. On the 2nd of September, Russia announced that it has now deployed its dreaded super weapon, the RS-28 Sarmath, for combat. Nicknamed the Satan II in the West, the RS-28 Sarmath has an estimated range of 18,000 kilometers. It can fly at a speed of six times the speed of sound, and if fired by Russia, it has the potential to devastate any European capital in a span of less than 200 seconds. This is yet another sign that these guys have no intention of ending this war. There's too much money at stake. There's too much embezzlement going on. There's too much corruption at hand. So surprise, surprise, the DNC is being accused of rigging the primary process. This happened every election cycle and I'm, I'm sure it happens on both sides of the fence when needed. But I mean, this is how Bernie Sanders never got a shot at actually being a candidate, a real candidate with a winning chance. And now JFK is saying that the same thing is happening to him. The DNC is rigging the primary so that he gets marginalized and gets no attention at all.
But the DNC, there's also, I know there's been some discussion around, um, you know, whether you're getting uh, the sort of security protection that candidates would normally get. Um, talk a little bit about that, and do you feel this orchestrated campaign to basically marginalize you? Yeah, I mean, I do. If you, and it's not only by the DNC, but also the press, you know, my numbers are putting me at, at the third spot after President Trump and President Biden, and my favorability numbers are better than any candidate. But um, I'm not allowed on CNN, I'm not allowed on MSNBC, They'll, they will interview um, Nikki Haley, who has, you know, a tiny fraction of the vote account that I have, or, or, or Vivek, or, you know, or uh, Governor DeSantis, or any of these other candidates. I find it curious how all of those candidates are Republican candidates. He hasn't mentioned anybody from the Democratic Party. Who have only a fraction of the support that I have. And yet when the press talks about me, it's, you know, um, they always use the word long shot candidate before they they talk about me. They don't do that with other, uh, with other people who are running today. They give them kind of a, a fair shake, but I, I, um, I want to get a sense of if the decision holds um, for the current, you know, uh, sort of primary structure with the DNC, what is the best, what is the route to victory for you against President Biden? Oh, you know, if the, if the, if the DNC is going to make it, is going to rig it so that it is simply impossible for anybody to challenge uh, President Biden, then, you know, I'm just, that's what I wonder about, because to me, I don't think the DNC or the Democratic Party really wants Biden to run again. So if they don't really want Biden to run again, and they're not trying to let anybody hear Bobby Kennedy Jr., who do they really want to set up to take this thing? What is the route to victory for you against President Biden? Oh, you know, if the, if the, if the DNC is going to make it, is going to rig it so that it is simply impossible for anybody to challenge uh, President Biden, then, you know, I need to look at other alternatives. And what might those other alternatives be? Because uh, I can't go back to the people support me and to my donors and say, um, you know, I'm in, you know, I'm just going to, I'm in this to make a point. I need to, I need to show them a road to what, victory. What kind of alternatives would you be exploring, Mr. Kennedy? Well, you know, I don't know exactly because I want to see what the DNC does. I want, I want to see if they make it, a, if they, you know, if they make it a fair contest. And I, you know, I'm not asking that it be 100% fair, um, but I, I'm asking that there at least be <laughs> not know, a chance plausible <laughs> um, for well, somebody else. At to least he's being realistic. Their, you know, chosen anointed. Game. I mean, yeah, he's not asking for it to be 100% fair. Just, just reasonable. You know, just give him a, a fighting chance. Yo, so politics is corrupt through and through. I think we knew this already, but. Now we're getting to see how corrupt it is even within the party, the infighting, you know what I mean? And then if you just take a look on that, the level of infighting that's going on within the DNC right now, why would you not think that the election has been stolen before when it comes to parties going against each other? It don't seem like a stretch. You know, Bobby the App is pretty smooth. Um... 
always has the right answers and says the right things and listen to what he's going to say in regards to what he thinks on the indictments that are being levied against um, former President Trump. I'm curious about your thoughts on the indictments against President Trump because it speaks to some of the other issues you've talked about. I mean, do you think that that it is fair, um, the cases against him and the timing of those cases? You know, I don't, I don't uh, talk about those, about either, you know, the indictments on either side or the impeachment efforts on either side, because what I'm trying to, um, what I'm trying to focus on, Diane, is the, is the values that mm -hmm. hold us together rather than, you know, these issues that are inflammatory and that keep us apart. And frankly, anybody who, I have no insider's view of, of what's happening with those indictments. I think any Americans can look at them, can, you know, read up on them and make up their own mind about whether or not they think that they're, um, they're fair or prudent. Uh, so I, you know, I, I don't need to get into that. I don't give financial advice, but if you're paying attention to what's going on as it relates to Big Pharma, they always give you an opportunity to make some money, you know, a quick 10, 20, 30%. And if you had jumped onto this Big Pharma weight loss train before it left the station earlier this year, you would have been up 42% to date. We'll start with the launch of a new weight loss drug in the UK. It's, uh, Maker is becoming Europe's most valuable company, show. That's right. The drug is called uh, Wigovi. It's been on the market in the US since 2001 and has gained a lot of attention in part because some of its users are high-profile uh, celebrities. Tesla CEO Elon Musk is rumored to be among them. Uh, the prescription medication is administered to treat obesity and works with uh, weekly self-injections. It reduces appetite and cravings. It's uh, manufactured by Danish pharmaceutical group Novo Nordisk. And at the close on Monday, the group became Europe's most valuable company in market capitalization ahead of French luxury conglomerate LVMH. A few facts, it's uh, being sold in the UK. Let's not forget that this drug is also causing some serious side effects like paralysis of the intestines. Uh, I, I don't know. Is that worth it? Loss, significant loss of bone and muscle mass. These are just some of the things that this drug does. Okay, at a much cheaper price than in the U.S., Pharmacy Boots uh, says its uh, costs uh, it costs between 199 pounds and 299 pounds a month, depending on the dosage. That's still uh, five times cheaper than what it's being sold at in the U.S. Novo Nordisk's uh, market valuation is around that 397 billion euros. That's roughly equivalent what? to Denmark's GDP. The drug is in uh, high demand because of limited supplies. Tens of thousands are on waiting lists in the U.S. Okay, 50,000 alone have signed up for it on the Simple Online Pharmacy website. The treatment will be uh, really uh, in, in, in good use in the UK, the country with the uh, highest level of obesity in Europe, with one out of three adults suffering from the medical condition. You know, I like how Big Pharma just convince everybody that obesity is a medical condition, some, <laughs> some kind of disease that you need some medicine for as if people aren't responsible for what they put into their mouths, you know what I mean? 
And I get it. There are food deserts that exist. There are places where people just don't have access to nutritious food at an affordable price. And these food deserts exist intentionally. But that's the solution. Give people affordable access to healthy food. When the G20 summit commenced a few days ago, I guess the general consensus was that they would not be able to come to an agreement on a giant declaration. But over the course of the summit, they got it done, and it seems to be pro-Russia. Leaders at the G20 summit in Delhi have issued a joint declaration despite wide differences over the war in Ukraine. Unlike last year's Bali communique, this year's document does not mention Russia by name. The African Union also joined the G20 club and key pledges for battling climate change were made. World leaders meeting in Delhi defied expectations to issue a joint declaration, but the text on the war in Ukraine fell short of condemning Russia's aggression. Instead, it called on states to refrain from threatening or using force to gain territory. Another success of the summit, the African Union will become a member of the G20 club which will then represent about 90% of the world's population. So the main point of contention within the declaration was this thing called the Ukraine passage. The Ukraine passage, because that's where most of the focus has been, and particularly how it's been watered down when you compare it to the document they agreed in Bali a year ago. So GOM is deplores in the strongest terms the aggression by the Russian Federation against Ukraine and inserted in its place, we reiterated our national positions. All states must refrain from the threat of the use of force to seek territorial acquisition. Sergei Lavrov is so giving a press they're saying conference. No, that it's not just up to Russia to stop the aggression, but all parties involved. So which means Ukraine at some point in time is going to have to stop the aggression too. Now, this kind of goes against my thought that these guys are not looking to end this war anytime soon. But if the G20 is changing their stance and saying that the Ukraine needs to stop being an aggressor as well, maybe they are looking to wrap it up. And if so, does this now mean that they're moving the theater of war to the African continent? And another interesting thing to take into consideration here is that India hosted this particular conference and um, they're now at the end of this conference passing the presidency over to Brazil. These are two nations that are a part of BRICS. <laughs> so it's kind of ironic that they are saying to soften the stance as it relates to Russia and give Ukraine some of the... Um, burden to bear as far as peace is concerned but again coming back to the fact that two BRICS nations were at the forefront of this particular g20 summit there might be something to it now indian prime minister narendra modi has passed the presidency of the g20 to brazil marking the end of this year's summit in delhi at a closing ceremony, Brazilian President Lula da Silva said geopolitical issues should not be allowed to derail the G20's agenda. Leaders earlier issued a joint declaration, despite major differences over the war in Ukraine. Unlike last year's communique, the document does not mention Russia by name. Despite criticism of the statement's language from Kyiv, leaders at the summit praised the agreement for its important commitments. So I guess India would look on this as a success because they got this declaration through and 
the declaration basically seems to be in Russia's favor and Russia is a BRICS member so is India as well as um, Brazil who's going to be the hosting next year and the presidency being passed over to them like I said earlier so all in all it seems like this declaration is in favor of Russia. Our chief international editor Richard Walker is in Delhi. Hello Richard. So Olaf Scholz seems to be happy with the results. The Russians also seem to be content with the outcome. But who carries the biggest success from the summit? Well, you know, it is normal after an event like this for, for everybody to be out there talking to the media and claiming success. And certainly uh, the Russians in the form of Russia's Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov have been doing exactly that. Um, Lavrov, of course, seizing on the fact that you just mentioned there um, that Russia is not explicitly called out by name uh, in uh, the text of the declaration, uh, seeing that as an opening uh, to be able to, to call this um, uh, declaration a success for Russia. Well, that's it for the roundup for the G20. Um, it could be a win for Russia in terms of the declaration. It could also mean an end to the conflict in Ukraine based on that language as well. It could mean that the, the battlefront is moving to Africa. It could mean a lot of things. I guess time will tell. Alright, so I want to talk about the climate change agenda and some of the scams that go along with it. So there's this thing called, there's these things called carbon sinks. Carbon sinks are usually places like Canada is a huge carbon sink. So Canada has lots of um, trees, lots of forests. Those things suck up carbon and they retain carbon, they hold carbon. So these are called carbon sinks. Now, the climate change gurus are going to find a way to convince us that these carbon sinks can be transferred into carbon credits. Carbon credits can be used to offset the amount of carbon that you're producing. Um, and if you're not producing enough carbon to use up all your credits, you can then sell your credits to other countries that are producing a lot of carbon. Mind you, this does nothing to stop the production of carbon, but it creates a way for money to be exchanged. Deep within Kasigao, a sweeping wilderness of craggy hills and savanna roamed by elephants in the woodland located in southern Kenya, a team armed with clipboards and measuring tapes is busy studying an unremarkable tree. Now and leafless, it nonetheless has great value it stores carbon. Kenyan President William Ruto, who is hosting a climate summit in Nairobi this week, believes Africa's carbon sinks are unparalleled and should be tapped into. The restoration and expansion of Africa's natural carbon sinks are just, are not just an environmental imperative. In fact, they are an unparalleled economic goldmine. They have the potential to absorb millions of tons of CO2 annually, which should translate into billions of dollars if we were living in a fair world. Carbon markets are largely unregulated and accusations that some offsets, particularly forest-based ones, do little for the environment or exploit communities have sent prices crashing this year. What is so again... If you're, if you're paying attention to this whole game, here's another way for you to make money in the stock market. You know what I mean? Find these 
things, these vehicles that are being traded that have to do with carbon and green energy, and not so much green energy, that would be the sector, renewable energy would be the sector, but you want to find these carbon credit type trading things. And I think Bill Gates invested in, in um, some of these at the beginning of the um, pandemic as well, before he became the largest farm owner. So again, there's always there's always a scam. And if you read between the lines, there's always a way to f- trace it back to the money. I've seen prices crashing this year. What is really important is to take these ecosystems for what they really account for us and to pay the fair price for the carbon sequestration. So I think a claim from the continent, which is to see a better price for carbon, is a very fair one and something that the world should really support and, 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 and answer to. So you have one set of people that are fighting in Africa to control their natural resources, their oil, um, and all these things. And these countries are, I don't know, there's nothing by coincidence, but these countries are the countries that are involved or have been involved in coups over the past three years. But you see, this is the scam because then you have another set of people, mainly the EU, that are trying to do something good or make it seem as if they're trying to do something good for Africa, which is to make Africa a green belt and buy carbon credits from Africa because this is going to help Africa. But at the same time, they're not, even if I did believe in carbon credits, which I don't, but even if I did, let's just hypothetically say I did, they're not giving the Africans the value are equal value for carbon credits as they're giving some of these other European nations that they're buying carbon credits from. So essentially they're going to come to Africa and rape Africa again, this time for fake carbon credits. Uh, let's jump into mental gymnastics and uh, see what's been going on on the other side this past week. You know, I feel so sorry for this current generation this generation what are the z i think is generation z they're so entitled they're so soft they're so out of touch with reality and this clip will just speak specifically to the amount of confusion that these poor kids are undergoing Two things to know. I'm non-binary, I go by they, them, and I work in a store that is pretty much all women. So whenever they're like addressing us or when they're talking, they're always like, hey ladies. So I've taken it upon myself as someone that is non-binary to use this uh, to not listen. And whenever anyone addresses a group as ladies, I am not included. So when they say, hey ladies, let's like stop talking or hey ladies, let's like get to work. I will do none of it because you're not talking to me you're not talking to me this is the problem you're not talking to me so generation. i will not listen to anything that is said when it is started with hey ladies i'm a lady not a lady a lady who is going to refer to you as a lady like i don't have time for the foolishness like if i'm running an organization and somebody wants to tell me that they're not a, a lady and I, they don't want to be referred to as lady then I'm going to be courteous enough to refer to everybody in the room as people. And if you tell me you don't identify as a person, then I can fire you because I only employ people. I'm surprised that every week there's yet another story of people trying to sexualize children. 
Also on the topic of children, three global organizations are implementing a plan to teach kindergartners about sexuality and, quote, empower children to say yes to sexual encounters. This according to a new report in the Epic Times. We spoke with its author, Darlene Sanchez, to learn more. Really? Kindergartners? I said it before, you know, and I'll say it again. Anybody that is indoctrinating children into any kind of sexual behavior, whether it be heterosexual sex or or gay sex or whatever the case might be, trans sex, if you're trying to indoctrinate children into any kind of sexual behavior or if you're trying to sexualize children in any way, shape or form, you're a pedophile. Darlene Sanchez, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. And darling, you just came out with an in-depth report titled Global Network Promotes Sexual Rights for Children. Tell us about what you found here. How young are we talking? Well, some of this sexual ed starts in kindergarten, believe it or not, and, you know, goes through high school. Um, most parents out there, I think, would be familiar with sex ed, maybe starting in middle school and, you know, certainly you know something in high school definitely but, not in kindergarten um, yeah this is is starting at kindergarten level and uh parents need to be aware they might start seeing this and from sick, what you found who or what are the groups pushing this what's behind this there are actually um you know a consortium of global networks uh global the UN entities is probably and, one of them um agencies like the united nations Here we go. um the world health organization uh-huh. Uh, and then the International Planned Parenthood. Those three groups seem to be, you know, laser focused on sex ed and believe it or not, sexual rights for children. And let's just make it clear that we know Planned Parenthood has no good interest at heart for children. They don't care about kids. Their whole job is to make less children, right? Or convince people to have less children. So Planned Parenthood isn't about anything good for children. They don't even want children to exist. The UN, we've seen over and over how around the world where they go, children go missing and all kinds of sick stuff happen to children. As for the World Health Organization, you can just look on Bill Gates and vaccinations in places like India and Africa and how that has um, had an effect on the children in those countries. So I just... Yeah, I don't I don't trust these people. And from what you found in your research, what is the why behind this? Why are they pushing this? What happened is um, back when uh, President Obama was in office, he signed on to this U.N. Um, U.N. plan, basically, for the world. Uh, it's a globalist plan. And let's not forget that Obama was the one that ushered in the whole trans movement as well. And by 2030, they want to basically change the world and have, you know, everybody have, you know, equal rights. Everybody, you know, have, um, you know, a, a nice standard of living, that sort of thing. So it is like a utopian kind of thing, you know, or trying to push for something better than what they have now for everybody globally. And so it started coming into that. And part of that is education. So within the education component, they started in with the sex ed and the consent being so you see how they usher this in they, they, they bring it in under a utopian premise oh we want equality for everybody and everybody should have right to to food and everybody should have right to housing and everybody should have a right to education but if we provide these things for you 
we also get to determine what your child learns because we're providing this education and if we want to sexualize your child then we're free to do so because we're providing this education and so it started coming into that and part of that is education so within the education component they started in with the sex ed and the consent being part of consent. sex ed How are you and it teach seems you know some of these the consent. international planned parenthood or ippf has a kit instructing kids under the age of 10 it's quite young here but what are critics and proponents telling you about this plan Pedophiles. okay so the That's proponents of it are saying you know children are just like anybody else they need rights too they have the right uh, they need rights to have the right to be protected from pedophiles sexual rights um they have the right to enjoy pleasure they have the right to even talked about have sexual fantasies um you know they're pushing that side of it and they're saying also that children you know should be listened to when it comes down to consent and you know their ability to say yes to sex believe it or not so what they're saying is based on a, a child's maturity this child might be able to fully comprehend Even though understand like and give permission seven. to have sex um you know maybe 10 11 years old depending on their maturity level so on that same token and by that same logic why we don't allow these children to go join the army and go buy alcohol at the store drive a car all these other things that are reserved for people that have a more advanced brain function and development more mature you know like adults this is just a sick way to introduce pedophilia and normalize pedophilia and they're doing it on these levels is these organizations the un the who planned parenthood and then they're putting it into the schools and most parents have no idea that this is going on in their schools. That's the problem. What parents need to be aware of is this is coming. This is not your, your everyday sex ed. And Darlene, give us a sense of how easy or hard it was even for you to find out what was happening here. I, you know, this is really like a web. Um, it, it, there was so many documents. Um, it's all layered. There's layers. And if you look at the article, you know, that's online, um, I have links to several of these articles and you can see how layered it is. So you really have to get in there to understand what they're saying. So given how much time it took you, parents might not even know about this. Is that fair to say? I think that's, that's fair to say. Absolutely. I think it I mean, I don't think many parents out there realize what's going on here. I think parents are going to have to really keep focused on this and watch what their kids are. You know, if they sign up on sex ed, they need to make sure that it doesn't include some of this, um, you know, consent and rights to pleasure. Um, I would be very cautious. And the language is so vague, you know what I mean? We're talking about children and then you're going to have the rights to do what to give pleasure or to receive pleasure as a child under the age of 10 as a child under the age of 18 you know what i mean like no adult should be sexualizing children so apparently there are some states that are putting laws in place that would prevent minors from starting social media accounts without permanent without parental permission and believe it or not these laws are being put on hold so people want minors to go on the internet without parental permission essentially is what's going on here 
and then these said minors are going to be targeted once they get online, I'm pretty sure. An Arkansas law that requires parental consent for minors to create social media accounts would not go into effect as originally planned. It's been blocked, at least for now, by a federal judge. He expressed concerns about whether that law is constitutional. Similar laws in Texas, Louisiana, and Utah scheduled to take effect next year. So not only do they want to allow your children to go on the internet without having to get your permission to top this all off, they're also blocking a law that would ban drag shows in the presence of children. Meanwhile, a federal judge has temporarily blocked a Texas law that places restrictions on, quote, sexually oriented performances like drag shows. It was set to take effect today. The judge, though, said the law most likely violates the First Amendment. I don't think these people care about children at all. Not even think I know these people don't care about children at all. Their sole aim and purpose is to destroy the innocence of children. They want to destroy and demoralize children. They want to target and abuse children. So Burning Man came to an end last weekend. And I'm um, just hearing some social media reports of things that were happening at Burning Man. Now, I don't know if any of this is true or not, but this is what was going down, apparently. Most of y'all have probably heard that Burning Man was declared a national emergency, but there's some pretty crazy stuff coming out. So it was announced earlier that Burning Man was declared a national emergency because it was flooded. And so they sent in FEMA, which already seemed kind of like a weird reason For to send FEMA. in FEMA and keep anyone from leaving the festival. 73,000 people they're keeping locked in there for flooding. Now there's some new terrifying information coming out that there's a virus on the loose in the festival and that people are getting really sick with boils, vomiting, hemorrhaging. To me, this makes way more sense than flooding in terms of what their response was to the situation. This is a text from one of the festival goers and he said, yo, just figured you should hear from me first. Daryl is crazy sick with something that has him coughing up really coagulated blood. Medic showed up wearing a full suit. No idea where he is now. I would stay inside your camera. And he goes on to man. say that an outside agency is putting up a fence. This is a different festival goer that said, you're never going to fucking believe it. They're saying it's Ebola. Freaking Ebola at Burning Man, guys. <laughs> if this is true, that is insane. I just hope that everyone ends up being okay and that they make it out. All right, see, so this is why this is the mental gymnastics segment of the podcast, because I can't verify any of this. And to be honest, I haven't bothered to try. That's where we'll end episode eight of the Critical Thought podcast. I hope you found it entertaining, informative, and insightful. Join me next week for episode number nine. Yo, when you said critical thought... Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5, I'm trying to wash your mind And you know they lying Critical thought, critical mind Think to yourself in critical times M5, I'm trying to wash your mind